celebrate the words of Torah with Marcus and Rachel, Rabbis Reuben Steve. Yeah! Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of our podcast, The Rabbis and They're Married. I know it's been a long hiatus. We thought we were going to take a break for just for a high holidays, um, but for things we'll talk about in a second, it took a little bit longer to come back, but we're just so happy to be back here uh, with you. Uh, although we are happy to be back with you, um, we uh, will save the elephant in the room. A lot of us are mourning right now over uh, what is going on in Israel and, and completely broken apart inside. We kind of walk into this new world now that we face after our high holidays and, and just feeling completely broken. And so we're just standing in this moment where we feel this brokenness. And it's been a little bit since the massacres of October uh, 7th. And we're just excited to at least be together in community um, during this time and be there for you. I think we should um, kind of give people context. So we're recording this on Tuesday, October 24th. In the morning, we obviously you don't know what happens in the world between when we record this and when you're listening. So I think it's important to let you know where we are in time to give you context of, of what we know and what we don't know of what may have happened between when we record and when you when you hear this. So before we get into our major topic, which is going to be um, talking about this, so it's been besides of course the israel stuff i think our high holidays were, were really nice right yeah really it's, hard it's like hard to think about I know, it now, sometimes but... it's hard to even like go back to that space but yes our high holidays were absolutely incredible we we leaned into the theme of malchuyot of god as king we had unbelievable music colleen deeker who, who you all know from our theme song if not from many other places she was in, she was our high holiday musician in residence again this year, really took so much ownership over the music this year, together with our, our cancer, cancer Joshua Feinblum, they put together just unbelievable music together. And, and it was um, such an uplifting, incredible few weeks of holidays. Um, and Sukkot was, was yeah. lovely and nice until, until Sukkot yeah. So, but, but I just do want to thank all of, uh, those who are, of us who are listening, who are Temple of Aaron people. Thank you so much for being here for us during service and sort of going through that journey with us. And I hope it was productive for you and meaningful for you. And if you have any questions, comments, or reflections from that service, just those services, let us know. And we really want to hear from you. Uh, we also have some good news, personal good news on our own that I don't think we've ever shared in the podcast yet. So I think it's time. Oh, sure. You're not superstitious. I think our community. I believe in the one God. Okay. Our, no superstition. <laughs> our community knows, but we are um, excited that we are expecting our second child, God willing, due in March. We are, yeah, just very excited to be uh, growing our family and growing. And it uh, feels good to have something positive to focus on right now. Wonderful. Yeah, I, it's it's definitely been a savior for me thinking about, you know, in, ter in terms of this darkness that we right now, that there's a future for us and at least personally. Without further ado, I want to introduce a really special guest who is going to be with us today. Um, that's uh, Dr. Ashley Braun Gableman, who's going to be with us today. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm, I'm happy to be with you guys. 
For yeah. those of you who don't remember Ashley from our, our last podcast, Ashley, we have uh, deemed is our psychologist in residence at our, uh, what do we call her? Not psychologist in residence. In-house her psychologist. In-house psychologist for our podcast. And she also happens to be my sister. And so we're so happy to have you on. There's always so much for us to unpack together the overlaps between spiritual care and mental health care. But I think now in the last two weeks, more than ever, people are really seeking out both of those things and trying to find a way to bring those two together. So we are so happy to have you on, Ash. Well, I'm honored to be back and to be your in-house psychologist. When you asked me to do this topic, I was almost hesitant, reluctant, because it feels like, what do I know, you know, about such a huge thing? But that being said, I think that there's some really valuable things that we can talk about. Absolutely. Well, before before we delve into the heavy topic, I do have to share that I was able immediately to know which of our community members listen to the podcast. Because after our last podcast together, all of them started calling me Rabbi Smushy. So thank you, Ashley, for elevating my level of gravitas in my community. But I I actually loved it. It was amazing. And I was so happy to hear people listening and taking something away from the podcast, even if that something was Rabbi Smushy. I tried so hard. But then I just, you know, that's who you are. I'm going to try hard again this time, too, to call you Rabbi Rachel. Amazing. But to transition into into our topic today, so we are, of course, going to be talking about Israel. And while at the end, we may come into a little bit of what can we do to be, you know, helpful in this in this conflict right now, even all the way from Minnesota or Cleveland or wherever you find yourself. The bulk of what we're going to be talking about today is really is just is I, I think for us, for us as clergy, we're constantly asking the question: What do our what do our congregants need? What what do you guys need, right? What are what are our Jews in the pews or who are sitting at home? <laughs> what do they what do they need? And and I think it's what what we need as well, which is how do we personally on the ground here in Minnesota or Cleveland, meaning not in Israel, get through this time? And a lot of times we push our own stress and anxiety. Aside because we say we need to be there for Israeli brothers and sisters, which we certainly do need to be there for them. But by negating our own stress and anxiety and during this moment, we're actually very unhelpful and we're, we're actually destroying ourselves by doing that. So it's really imperative. We believe and Judaism believes as well that not only do we take care of our brothers and sisters, but we also take care of ourselves, which is really, really important. So what we're going to really try to focus our conversation in today is how do we get through this tough time? I know uh, we'll talk a little bit personally what we've been going through, but I'm sure that this has been a really tough time for you. And when we have these discussions that are about anxiety, stress, depression, things that we're, we're, we're facing right now, it's imperative for Rachel and I, Rabbi Rachel and I, to constantly bring in a professional on these topics, a professional who can bring in the most modern concepts in psychology to make sure that what we're saying is true, <laughs> according to science, and also anything that obviously can be helpful at this moment as well to help us get through strategies really to help us get through this tough time. Uh, It's really essential that we all make it through. Um, And, you know, I think with most conflicts in Israel, like we go extreme out for like six days and the operation's over. This is not going to be like that. This is going to be ongoing for a really long time. And we're not used to that as American Jews. And 
sort of how do we deal with this stress and sadness without negating that stress and sadness because it really is sad um, really hard but how do we get through during this tough time so that's going to be the focus of our topic today all right so i really want to start out personally you know it's really important that you hear from us um, and so i want to go through all three of us and just kind of talk about you know how was your reaction to these events how are you sort of responding in your physical life what are you facing don't worry we'll talk about you know, strategies of how to deal with that but let's just start out with the raw response where, where are you at where, where have you come from over these what, 18 days has it been since the, the started yeah so who wants to go first yeah, I'm happy to, to jump in. Um, I shared a little bit in the sermon that I gave on Shabbat about a little bit of where my, my journey has been. When the news hit on Saturday, October 7th, and it was such a strange time for us, we don't usually use a lot of technology on Shabbat, um, but we do keep our phones on in case the funeral home needs to get a hold of us or in case of emergency. And uh, so uh, Rabbi Marcus actually came in Saturday morning before before we left for services and said the you know Israel has been attacked and throughout the that Shabbat and then the, the next day Sunday was a holiday so we still weren't really using that much technology we were kind of getting through different media through drips and drabs and and using our phones more than we we normally would. The, the information and it, it just kept getting worse and worse and the death toll kept rising and the details of the of the horrific uh, terror that, that Hamas had inflicted were coming to light. Um, and and I, I don't think I've ever felt so angry as I felt on last Saturday. And if it's not a, a two Saturdays ago, it's not a anger, it's not an emotion. I, I feel very often I'm not a particularly angry person. I was so angry and I felt and I, I felt myself thinking things that I had never thought before, you know, about, you know, just I, I just want to destroy it all. There's, you know, it's pure evil. It's there's no redemption. There's no hope. I'm just so angry and so heartbroken. And I think in the in the time that has passed, the anger has subsided a bit. You know, it's still I still feel such anger at the terror, but my my anger has has subsided. But the heartbreak is still so there. Um, and I think I you know I compartmentalize throughout the day to try and make it through. But um, whenever I allow myself to think about what's going on or read about what's going on, the tears immediately come back. I mean, it's just still so so devastating and so heartbreaking and. The more details that emerge, the the worse and worse it gets. Yeah. And, uh, Ashley, how you feeling? Yeah, similar in that the more details that come out, the worse it gets. When I first found out I was with a friend of mine, I try not to like use my phone that much in general, like on the weekends, Shabbat, but also like not even for religious reasons necessarily, but just for like distance reasons. I like to be present with my kids and whatnot. So I hadn't seen any news at all that morning. And then my friend mentioned it. And my first reaction, unfortunately, because I had no idea what had actually happened, I thought, oh my God, there was another like terrorist attack in Israel. Not to minimize it, but I, you know, there's much smaller scales attacks that unfortunately sometimes we like get used to hearing about. 
And then when I did look at the news and actually see what was happening, it was terrifying. It was heartbreaking. And then the more like I've listened to stories of like the real people who are taken hostage and tortured with their children. And I mean, it's just, I hear these stories and I just start sobbing. Like I was standing in my kitchen one morning listening to the news, just sobbing. And like you, I've since compartmentalized so I can go on with my day and do my work and be happy with my kids. So that brings up other kind of emotions like guilt. Am I doing enough? Am I still reading enough? Am I still paying enough attention? Should I be looking more than I am? And also, I I was saying to a friend of mine, like, I've never felt at the same time as much as I do now, gratitude and heartbreak and anger all together. Like when I'm holding my kids, it's this feeling of like, thank God. And also, oh my God, thinking of all the stories and everything that you've heard, it's, it's really hard to make sense of. Yeah, I mean, ditto what all of you guys have said, uh, you know, and feeling exactly the same. Um, you know, um, I usually do tend to get angry with Israel. So this was an interesting thing where I was like, I can't get so angry because people are kind of, everyone else is angry who's usually not angry. So I, there's no sense of like adding fuel to the fire per se. So that was an interesting, interesting thing for me. I, I wanted to get on a plane and fly to Israel and join the IDF. And, and that was just the all, that was the thought for at least two or three days when until I kind of came back to my senses of, you know, I have a family here and I have work to do here that is that it that only I could do. <laughs> not to mention, I'm not sure the IDF wants you. <laughs> not to mention, I don't know if I'd be the best soldier, but that's another story. I, I think, you know, I guess the most interesting thing for me, and the hard thing for me is the things that I love to do, I'm having trouble doing. I thought that I could sort of like deal with this the way I deal with other hard things in my life, which is to kind of retreat back into Torah and to, to kind of like learn for hours a day and just kind of enter my faraway world where everything's perfect in Torah land. And I couldn't, and this is the first time in a long time that, and still, I mean, I still, it's like sort of coming back maybe, but like I open up my books and my mind wanders and I can't like, I can't get into it. And like none of the concepts inspire me anymore. Like they used to, like they used to set me on fire. And since that day, it's just like, so I think that's really been hard. Like one of my like strategies for overcoming pain and loss is like just not there in the same way. So that's kind of freaked me out a little bit. Um, it's, it is slowly coming back. Um, and, and, you know, it makes sense, you know, from at least what we've learned about grief in, 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 in a rabbinic school that, that this would be happening, but still very, very difficult. So, yeah, and we're still, we're all going through this. I hope that, you know, you through listening to maybe a little bit of our stories, you found some similar, similar experiences that you're feeling as well. And just from the outset, I want you to know that you know, Rachel and I are, are here for you. If you ever want to talk, sit down. We are 100% here for you. And honestly, it helps us when you call because then it helps us feel like we can do something for you and be there for you. And that actually helps us get through these hard times. So if you please don't hesitate in calling your clergy, even if you just have to vent or talk or whatever it is, um, we are there to meet you anytime. Um, and we want to make sure we're there for you.
Yeah, I will say that has been, I think I know we'll get into strategies, but it's been something that's been surprising and actually surprisingly helpful for me. As you know, I've continued to reach out to congregants for your insights and different occasions. So I'll call people and ask them how they're doing. And I, I've been, so, you know, oftentimes you and I as rabbis are maybe feeling different things than what our congregants are feeling. We're not always exactly on the same page. We're, we're tapped into different aspects of Jewish community and different you know, and so we're not always on the same page of what everyone is feeling, but across the board, I mean, I'll talk to congregants who uh, would maybe consider themselves religious, consider themselves not religious, show up to synagogue, don't show up to synagogue, like all across the board, whatever type of congregant they are, and they, and they're all seemingly feeling kind of the same heaviness and the same connection to Israel in this moment. And that's really, that's really kind of been heartwarming to me of, you know, to be together in community feeling this is at least a little bit less lonely than by feeling it alone. Right, right. We want to jump now into strategies. So we really want to be, we want to be focused here. I want you to know our feelings and know where we, that we're suffering with you. Like we are, <laughs> we're not like the, the people on top of the mountain looking down on anybody else. We are in the trenches with you. And we are doing this podcast for ourselves, not just for you of like, Okay, how do we get through this hard time? So we want to be lightning focused, on not just on our suffering, but on our how do we how do we get through these tough times? How do we continue to be useful human beings in this world, serving our communities, doing our missions, doing the things that we're we're supposed to be doing? Um, so I, I guess I'll start with a couple that have have sort of and again, all these have helped me. I would say none of them have been like the magic bomb. Okay, <laughs> like they give me moments of respite and. A lot of it's my discipline um, and being able to stick to these things is a hard thing. Um, I, I just want to pause for a moment there because I think what you said right there is really important and I want to give Ashley a chance to respond as well. Like I think you had mentioned it earlier that like none, none of this is to make the sadness and heartbreak go away. Like this is a, this is a sad, heartbreaking moment and we are in grief. And so I don't think any of these strategies are to take that away. I don't think anything can take that away, right? It's it's to be able to continue to care for ourselves through that heartbreak and that grief. Actually, is there anything to No, I, w- I was thinking the same exact thing. Like, there's nothing that's going to take away the sadness and the fear and the anger and all the things that we're feeling. Because it's also like, for most of us, something we've never encountered in our lifetime before me you know like we can think back to our grandparents and their experiences in the holocaust and so there's this sort of like generational memory to it which adds a whole nother dimension so it's it's very complicated and nothing should be able to take all that away it's part of being human but like you said it's at the same time it's not useful to us or to anyone around us to get stuck. So I think that's what some of these strategies can be helpful with is just not getting stuck. Right. Now, you know, I think this essentially this, this kind of turn towards strategies of how we get through, I think is a very Jewish thing because there's this Jewish idea that if you're mourning and, and God forbid you've lost someone, even a very close relative, when Shabbat comes, you're not allowed to mourn anymore. Right? You're not allowed to, you have to be joyful for Shabbat. And you, like, eventually, once you bury your relatives, like, you, you have to go and continue to do all the mitzvot that everyone else is doing. 
Judaism sort of forces you back into the real world. And, and I think it's important to note that like that's not because the grief is not there. Judaism, and I think the Torah understands very clearly that you're still going to be sad and that you're still going to be in grief. But because of our relationship with God and our commitment to the covenant, our commitment to Torah, and our commitment to not just existing and living in this world, but existing in order to serve. Now, we're not just here just to be human beings and, uh, you know, have a good life. We are here as Jews, as people who are indebted to God, living a life of mitzvot, of commandedness, of mission, of service. And because we're living lives of service, we have to, as Jews, be able to put our, our compartmentalize our, our personal grief and suffering in order to continue serving God at this moment. And that service and that mission of what we need to be doing is going to be, might be very different now after this, but we still need to serve. And so really, I think that's why we're, because you could, you could say, why do we need this? Shouldn't we just suffer? Shouldn't it be horrible? And we should just let it be horrible because it is horrible. But no, we don't have that freedom as Jews because we still have to serve God, right? We still have to do our mission in this world. And so that's really, I think what that this is about. And, and honestly, that's been the main thing that saved me over and over again is, is just doing mitzvot, right? And what I mean by mitzvot is sacred obligations, right? Whether it's, it's visiting the sick, realizing that I need to pray one of the three times, put on my tefillin, put on my talis, keep Shabbat, keep kosher, all these different things, reaching out to a friend, caring for people, um, et cetera, et cetera. And staying lightning focused on those mission components, those objectives, right? And that I find when I'm like able to focus on what I'm supposed to be doing at this moment and that that are very tactile, physical things, not like, oh, I need to like have some deep thought because that's not possible right now. But like on very physical things that I, I we believe that God wants us to be doing and obligates us to do, right? I feel that that I think gives me the greatest sense of connection and it makes me feel like I'm a useful person in the world. Because I think for me, that's like a really challenging part is like when I'm grieving and when I'm sad, I feel useless. And that's really hard. I don't want to feel useless. I want to feel that I'm doing something in the world to make the world a better place. So I think that has been something that has kind of worked for me per se. You yeah. Know? I mean, I think that I can't, I come to it slightly differently, but you know, in a similar, in a similar end result of, you know, that feeling like you're doing something that's been really helpful for me. And it hasn't always manifested in explicit mitzvot for me in the, in these last two weeks, but you know, I, I was given the opportunity to go and do a, have a conversation with um, the teachers at a local elementary school about how to support their Jewish families at this time. And like that, you know, they were so grateful. Oh, you know, we know this is such a busy time for you. Thank you for taking the time. And I kept saying, well, thank you for giving me the opportunity because you know, just to be able to do something so small that feel, you know, it feels that was so nourishing to be able to feel like you're doing something. I created a, a little craft for the younger kids to do in religious school on Saturday to do a little I support Israel, like just even those little things that are not changing the world, but are um, having tiny impacts on people's lives. That's been that's been really can I just can I hold you the the, the I'm, I'm so glad they've been nourishing for you but like I want to make clear that that what I'm saying is it's not only about Israel right like sometimes the normal mitzvot that are always active are important like just teaching people to be good people in the world and caring for people and just having a normal 
like Saturday more Sunday morning service where we're babbling with dominion like that, that feels in some ways redemptive for me. So it's like, I think there's this temptation. I think like all we should be doing right now is doing things that help Israel, right? Like, and zero else is allowed. And I think that's a very destructive voice. Like that's a very, very destructive voice. And for me, I've been trying to focus on like, no, these are the mitzvot. These are the mitzvot that we should be doing. So that's the only thing I would like. I no, I think I think that's true, and I think that some those are you know harder to do right now, as you as you kind of alluded to, because both I don't think for me it's so much that I think I, I only should be doing things about Israel, and I'm just so tired, I'm so emotionally and physically exhausted um, by what's happening that picking up the phone to make a Yorzei call is feels like such a big barrier. But then I do it because it's something that I, I want to do and need to do. And then once I once I've picked up the phone and have made that connection, you're right. It is so nourishing and it feels so good to be doing something in the world for the good, even if that good is not necessarily directly related to Israel. But for me, it's just the barrier of getting there. It's hard, but, but you're right. It kind of reminds me, I had a wedding this weekend and the rabbi spoke really beautifully, I thought, like, when it came time to break the glass, that was so poignant right now because the wedding, like, it's not like when the rabbi was talking and marrying them, he wasn't talking about Israel. He wasn't talking about sorrow and sadness because it wasn't about that in that moment. It was about this beautiful couple coming together and getting married in a Jewish ceremony and celebrating and being joyful. And then when it was time to break the glass, of course, he talked about Israel and it just was so like it was exactly why we break the glass, right? Because like even in these times of great joy, there's sadness and suffering. And right now that's so real. But it felt almost like permission, like relief to like be allowed to be joyous, to like dance the horror and like it's, I don't know, it, it almost felt like, is this okay? Is this wrong? But then it was like, no, this is actually really, really right. This is what we should be doing right now because we have to live and still be joyous as Jews. Yeah, another, another piece of Torah that has emerged very strongly throughout this time that people have been leaning on is there's a discussion in the, in the rabbinic literature of what to do if a funeral procession and a wedding procession meet on the road. Who should make room for the other? Who should go first? Um, and there's a lot of discussion about it, but the, the prominent view seems to be that the wedding procession goes first. Um, and so there is this idea of that that happens in our lives, right? Like the grief and the, and the joy come into conflict with one another and we experience both at the same time. And how do we allow ourselves permission to, to give space for the life and give space for the joy? Um, I think that's really real. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, actually, from Dr. Ashley, <laughs> from a psychological perspective, how should we treat those voices in our head that, that say to us, you know, you should only be focused on Israel. You should only be checking the news and, you know, or, or the voice that says, You're, I'm too tired to um, reach out to a friend or do what I, I'm supposed to be doing right now. How, how do we deal with those voices? What would you say? How should we treat those voices in our head? Well, I think just the way you're talking about it is a really helpful start that we frame it as. This is a thought in my head right now. We have all sorts of thoughts all day long. Some are true, some are not true, some are helpful, some are not helpful. Some are mundane, some are important. But 
some thoughts, they kind of catch us and then we take it as the ultimate truth and then we live in that truth. So if we have the thought of, I should only be sad right now, if we realize, if we recognize to ourselves, this is a thought that I'm having right now, that gives us just a little bit of space in between us and the thought to then give us some choice. We might choose in that moment to be sad and to go and read more news. And that might be the right decision for us in that moment. Or we might choose right now, I am going to dance at a wedding. I'm going to sing. I'm going to take a walk in the beautiful weather and I'm going to live my life. And at the same time, know that these feelings of grief and sadness are also real. You know, there's like a duality, like a dialectical and both are true that we're sad and grieving and anger. And also that we live our lives and go on. And they're true at the same time. And we have to hold that both together. Thank you. Beautiful. (sighs) Yeah. So I, you know, I also want to note another you know, strategy sort of for coming together, which is which is to come together. Is, I think some been some of the most redemptive moments for us, just like the simple things of like coming together as a Jewish community. Like sometimes we say to yourself, like, what's what's the point of going to that rally? Even if, sometimes it's like a rally for Israel, or sometimes it's Shabbat services. But sometimes it's normal Shabbat services, and sometimes it's like, why should we do this again? That same voice, like there are more important things going on in the world, or how does this particularly help Israel at this moment? And, you know, we, it, you know, in the end, it's period, maybe it does in some very peripheral way, but it really doesn't, right? Like, those things are for us. And I have to say, like, there was a, there was a rally here for Israel, and Rachel and I couldn't get in. We tried to get in. We were in the synagogue. It was so, it was so incredibly packed like i've never seen anything we before. were we were literally on the highway we were on the main one of the main highways in minnesota and the traffic was so backed up at the exit and we did not think it was for the route like we were like man how could they have built this exit like this yeah. that it gets so backed up at rush hour um and then as we finally slowly over like a half hour made our way through the exit we were like oh this is all for the everyone's trying to get to this Get to the solidarity gathering. Right. It was amazing. Right. Yeah. So I think that was, and in the end, I think I was frustrated in the beginning because I was like, "Oh, I'm like the rabbi. We have to be there. We have to like be there, represent." And like, and Rachel and I slowly said to ourselves, "Like, wait a second. Like, there are many other rabbis there. They got it down. And what's most important is there's like thousands of people supporting Israel and being together at this moment, which is just really, I think, really essential." That, yeah, and yeah. even like the weekend, the you know the weekend of October seventh, you know it was Simcha Torah, and all day on Saturday, you and I kept talking and going back and forth. Like, what do we do tonight? It's Simcha Torah tonight. We Marcus's band was supposed to be playing. We were going to dance with the Torah. We were going to honor volunteers in our community. And do we cancel? Do we cancel the band? Do we make it somber? And we decided to lean in and to you know and to have the band and have the music and come together in community. And it was so what was needed. And then that that just that that same 
conversation continued to happen again and again. And then the following weekend, we had a bar mitzvah on Shabbat. And then we had a, a big program at the synagogue on Sunday. And it could just like every time the conversation comes up of how do we do this? How are we possibly going to come together in community for something not directly about Israel um, and something even for joy? And, and every time we've like overcome the uh, discomfort of moving forward because it is so uncomfortable to move forward with those joyful moments when we're so heartbroken and in grief. But every time that we have, we have felt so good about it and it's been exactly what people need and people just so need to be in community right now. Yeah. 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 Unless you say, yeah, I was going to say it was the same thing here. There was a rally for Israel a few days after this all started and the traffic was so backed up for so long. I was on my way trying to get my kids from school, which was somewhat near where the rally was. And I couldn't even get through. I mean, it was like amazing. Unfortunately, I couldn't go because I had to pick the kids up and all that. But even just seeing that, like, it's like, wow, okay. We're all like together. We're all a part of this, like, you know, and I think now, especially it like really feels like as Jews, like we're all one family as maybe like cheesy as that sounds but like we feel what's going on in israel in a way that i don't know if people can really understand who you know we're all family like this is happening to our family yeah i saw something on on facebook where someone posted you know someone asked me if I have family in Israel and I replied, yes, I have 7 million brothers and sisters. And that's really how it feels that like, yes, we, we happen to have our physical, you know, our literal family in Israel as well, but it doesn't, it doesn't even matter if you have family or don't have family. Like it does feel like it is our family and it's happening to us and it's happening to our people. And I think you're right. I don't think people know that or understand that fully. Yeah. And I think that's just in a reaction. I know we didn't talk about this beforehand, but, I do want to hit on this for a second. I, I think we have to have a little bit more. This might be a little bit on a little bit uh, spicy here, uh, harif, as we would say in Hebrew. But I think we have to have a little bit more compassion on our non-Jewish neighbors. I, I've been like seeing a lot of posts going around lately, and a lot of reactions. Like, there's that very viral news article that we both saw. Of, like, like um, you may have lost all of your Jewish friends this week without even knowing it. Um, and it certainly resonated with a lot of people that we had a lot of congregants who shared it and I understand why they did. But the point of the article was generally like that Jews, as you referenced, actually have this generational trauma and we're kind of constantly on alert for who is safe and who will be there for us in a time of need. And that the silence of so many non-Jewish neighbors has made Jews question, am I am I safe? And are these people really here for me? Which I which we, uh, we understand kind of the Jewish trauma that creates that response. But I think Marcus and I both felt like well, it, that may be true in some circumstances. A lot of the time, it is our it is our own trauma, and it's not necessarily fair to put that on our non Jewish neighbors. And I think what you said is that, which is so true, Ashley, is that they just don't know. Like I think a lot of our non Jewish neighbors just don't know how we're feeling about Israel. Like they don't see us as Israelis. We're not Israeli. They see us as their American neighbors who happen to be Jewish, like they happen to be Christian. And so I, I think you're right, Marcus, that 
you know, we, we are trying to have compassion on, on our non-Jewish neighbors. It's, I mean, it's amazing when they do reach out. I was stopped yesterday by, or on Sunday by one of our neighbors um, who said, I've been meaning to catch you. Um, I had never spoken to her before. And she said, I've been meaning to catch you. We just have been thinking about you and wanted you to know that, you know, we support you and that your neighbors support you. It was so heartwarming. It meant so much. It was really kind of her, but I don't necessarily expect it of all of my neighbors because I don't, I don't think they would have any way of knowing necessarily how we're feeling. Well, I think you actually just put into words something that I didn't really realize was happening for me, which is that I I haven't had the experience of like, you know, being angry at non-Jewish friends or acquaintances who haven't said anything. I, I notice it, but... I think what you just put into words for me was how that's why I'm so touched when a non-Jewish friend or even patient of mine comes in and says, I'm thinking about you. This is, I know, like, I don't, maybe I don't understand everything that's happening, but I'm thinking about you. And I think just that understanding on their part that it really matters so much feels really um, special. Absolutely. And I mean, I think that is also something we can, you know, we were talking about strategies of what we can do. Um, and we talked a lot about some of the things that we are so privileged to be able to do as rabbis of calling our congregants and making, you know, different visits. But ever, I mean, we have gotten texts, so many texts and reaching out from congregants saying, I hope you guys are taking care of yourselves. We're thinking of you like congregants to their rabbi, which is just amazing. And it's kind of the reversal of what you expect to be happening. But anyone can do that. Not to their rabbis necessarily, just to every, you know, all of their friends, just the reaching out like Jew to Jew of, you know, I'm thinking of you. And, you know, I bet it's something that makes the recipient feel amazing. And and I imagine it makes the, the doer feel like they're doing something too, and they're doing something positive in the world. Yeah, so so essential to reach out to each other. I just I was at a meeting uh, yesterday. Uh, happened to be with the, the Minneapolis uh, chief of police, and I had a conversation with him, and and just said to him, you know, I, he, he said, when you see a Jew, just just say that you're thinking of them. And he looked at me like he like he's like, thank you for saying that. I had no idea what to say. I had no idea what to do. Like this is so complicated. And, and like, and he had no idea what to do and he wanted to be helpful, but we, you know, we, he needed to be, had the, the permission, feel like the, that just all, that's all you have to say. Right. And so the more we can say that to our non-Jewish friends and tell them what we need, right. They want to be our ally. They want to be there for us. You know, maybe they, they're not going to support, maybe they're not going to support Israel exactly the way we're going to. That's understandable. But they want to be there for us emotionally. And I think we have to be able to give them the permission to do so. I had the exact yeah. same experience with the yeah. teachers that I spoke to in the local elementary school. I said to them, I said, we are not asking you to have an answer to the Israeli-Palestinian conflicts. Like, we are not asking you to even have an opinion. You know, like, you don't have to teach your your fourth grade students uh, the history of Israel-Palestine if that's not part of your curriculum. Like, we're not asking you for any of that. All we are asking you is to notice your Jewish students and their families and reach out and say, we're thinking of you. And I said, frankly, I I imagine that the Muslim students need that too. Like just, I know you care, reach out and let them know you're thinking of them. And, and I think you're right. That permission, that explicit permission was so helpful. Can I ask you a question though, uh, Dr. Uh, Braun Gableman here? 
I, I don't know if this is psychologically sound or not, but I've been having a feeling lately. Like it's 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 amazing as Jews that we can say, like, look how there was eight thousand people at our at our Israel rally, and look how like President Biden flew for the first time into a war zone um, to stand with Bibi Netanyahu and the Israeli people. We've been getting a tremendous amount of support. I mean, the amount of how many times they have to light up the Israeli flag on every single country around the world, on the Eiffel Tower, on the, the Sydney Opera House, all this stuff. And we're getting this tremendous um, support for the state of Israel. Yet, on the other hand, like literally at the same moment, my mind at least, and I'm sure I think a lot of other people are like, we're not getting enough support. No one's supporting us. We're all alone. People don't care when Jews people, die. People don't care when Jews die. Like, I've heard that so, said so many times. And like, I've thought that so, so many times. But it's like amazing that the human mind can like think these two, like the fact on the ground is there is a lot of support for Israel. But on the other hand, I feel like we're getting no support. I, that, Dr. Ash, can you send some, so, some light yeah, on that? How to sort of that? I think that is totally psychologically sound. And there's like an evolutionary reason for it. We have this like negativity bias in order to keep us safe. So we have to be on alert or we had to, you know, our caveman ancestors had to be on alert for danger, for negativity, for another tribe that was going to come and attack us. Like that was adaptive. That's why we're all here because our ancestors had that alertness about them. So our brains are still kind of wired that way that we're going to notice when uh, things are, you know, potentially going to hurt us. So I think that that's part of the reason for it, but I also think like, depending on what you're watching or listening to or reading, there is a lot going on in the world that would make us feel legitimately that there's a lot of people who are not, at best, not supportive and oftentimes anti-Semitic. And like that, that also is truly happening in the world. So it's not like it's in your head either, you know? Right. I guess like my question really though, is like, how do you hold both? Like yeah. important in both and like how, because like we are getting supported by a lot of people mm-hmm. yet we need to constantly, we do need to fight for more support, but like, I don't want to be like, I don't want to negate the support that we're already getting. And like the, those, those people who have reached out and like, this is the most support that any Jew has ever gotten in probably the history of man. Like for, for, for Jewish suffering, this is the most support literally in the history of the world, mm-hmm. right? So like, right. Mark, like can Mark, we contextualize Marcus and I say that all the time of like, we, you know, we've had uh, the St. Paul police has been amazing. They've been doing all these patrols through our parking lot and they're constantly asking us like, what do you need to feel safe? What, what can we do? And we, we say all the time to each other, like our ancestors would not have believed us that the state police are trying to protect us and not with pitchforks trying to persecute us. Like it's the first time in yeah. Jewish history. And so like to be able to hold how amazing that is. Um, but you're right. The the lack of support and the active anti-Semitism is also real. It doesn't yeah, make right. that part any less real. Yeah. But I think that's important for us to remind ourselves of, like, especially when it does start feeling like, you know, some of our like Jewish history in Eastern Europe and just in lots of different areas of our history, but that that there is a big difference, that we are safe where we are, that we are supported. 
um, that we have a president who is strongly on our side, that locally, right, we have all the security that we do. So I think that is really important to remind ourselves of. It is for me because I think I fall a little bit more on the other end. You guys are very positive in like feeling so supportive and that's helpful for me to hear because I think I have felt less globally or nationally notice notice the lack of support more. Yeah. Yeah, I think like people see us as rabbis and then they come and say, oh, that's the Jewish representative. We're if we're gonna support you, we're gonna we're gonna tell you. And so I, I think Rachel and I have like seen that. We like we realized we were getting all these like Facebook posts because we have all these rabbi friends who are posting about all these wonderful things that that the Jewish people are doing and and just all these wonderful stories that were making us feel better. And then we all of a sudden realized like our congregants aren't getting anything. Like they're just getting none of that. And so we have a responsibility to sort of bring that to you know, our congregants and, and Jews who are not clergy, right? Who are not representatives. Yeah, you know? and, I, and, I, and I think I just want to pick up on what you were saying, Ash, about like how this isn't, this isn't 1940s Europe or 1800s Russia or oh, any of the other, you know, thousands of examples of Jewish history. And I think part of it, your your initial reaction of, oh, that that's so horrible that there was another terrorist attack in Israel and then actually seeing what happened and feeling the intensity for me, part of that was because it it was it was such a pogrom, and it was right. su- you know it because it yes. felt and even like the Israeli generals who came afterwards said this is not a battlefield, this is a pogrom like my grandparents experienced, and I think that's why it hit Israelis so hard because they didn't think that that was ever going to happen again in Israel, and it hit us so hard because you know that that period of Jewish history is you know has so much generational trauma, and I think reminding ourselves that. Yes, this was this was a pogrom and this was absolutely horrible. And it was so reminiscent of what our grandparents and everyone before them went through. And it is and it's different. And we have Israel and we have an army and we have, you know, all of these other protections and we're safe in America. And, you know, like all of these other reminding ourselves that like noticing this is a trauma response. (laughs) This is from my generational trauma of everything that we carry from our history and I'm not living in 1940s Europe. And like, this is, this is different. Yeah, me too. That was the exact thought that, that I had that, that made it so scary and terrifying and different was that this, this, we never thought that we would see anything like this. We thought this was our history and we never, ever, ever expected it to be our current reality. So before we transfer to transition to, you know, what can we do for Israel, right? Because I, I really feel sort of remiss if we only talked about how to relieve our own anxiety, our own anxiety and get through this time without talking about what we can actually do for Israel and cause. Do you have any other strategies, Doctor, that, that you, you think we should be looking at, things that we should be thinking about right now that we might not have thought of in your expertise? Um, I think, I mean, we talked about like paying attention to our own emotions not ignoring them and also like being able to live our lives. I think another one is like giving ourselves permission to limit the amount and the type of news that we're taking in, put boundaries around that for ourselves. There's no need to expose ourselves 
to news that is going to further our trauma. And I'm yes, I'm talking about horrific videos and pictures and all of that, but I'm also talking about if there are publications or Instagram people that we follow that are posting things that are furthering our pain, it, it's not only allowed to take our eyes away from that, but I think it, we need to, because otherwise, like, how do we keep on going and doing all the things we need to do? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, that's certainly been my experience, and I, and I want to add to that, like, actively seeking out the things that are nourishing. Like, I have found myself completely changing my Instagram feed to follow the accounts that are nourishing to me and that are, you know, giving me moments of connection and support and very quickly and actively unfollowing and taking out of my feed the things that are adding to my pain, um, as you said. And and I think also I want to add, like, we certainly as rabbis have a bias towards a particular type of community. So when we talk about coming together in community, we talk about coming to Shabbat services and and that's all important and lovely and you're all please come to Shabbat services <laughs> but there's others other types of community as well so I know that um you one of your colleagues from graduate school is having a support group for anyone who's affected by Israel who wants to come together in support and learn strategies locally I know the Minnesota Mamalas are putting together a parent support group for parents who are who are struggling right now with Israel and you know I, I there's just I think actively seeking out community in whatever form that takes whether that's kind of social media community and curating a feed that feels supportive or physical and active community of people explicitly talking about Israel or just coming together in Jewish community like whatever that looks like I, I just think community is so important right now yeah, so I, I'm I'm a little uh, I know uh, Dr. Ashley has a, a patient in about ten minutes, so we're we want to we really um, want to get to this what we can do to help Israel uh, right now, and um, you know, I I think number one for me at least is is one understand where you are. You're not in Israel, like you are not on the front lines. You are living for us in Minnesota, and you need to stay focused. What's going to help Israel is staying focused on. Your familial obligations, your work obligations, the things that that you do to make the world a better place—that only you can do. We need you to do those things. So I wanted to start with that. But just tactile things we can do. I know Federation Jewish Federations are a great place to give money um, and do a great job collecting the money. This is what they were built for, and to, to get it to the places that are needed in Israel. That's really essential. I know there are a lot of great people who are running individual um, charities. People who are in Israel or specific. Specific needs financially, that's really important. Any, anything with the financial area that you want to share? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as always, and, you know, in times of crisis, a lot of people jump in to help and some are more helpful than others. So, like doing your due diligence to make sure you're giving to the right places. You know, some places I think have received such an influx of donations that they are not necessarily in need anymore of more donations. So, just kind of being aware. Uh, your rabbis are great people to reach out to if you have questions about specific, the best places to give. And I think Jewish Federation, I would agree, is is just such a go-to because they are able to shift with the giving, you know, with the with the needs on the ground. They have such incredible partners that they've um, had relationships with for decades. And so they're able to adapt and meet the needs as they come. Right, especially on such a, a fast-changing situation. You know, you might be giving to a really great need to make sure that the soldiers have I don't know. There's been so many things out there. The needs that they, the comfort qualities that they can have or food or, or what have you. 
But that need can all of a sudden be gone. And now you've given that money to this particular cause and you don't know where that money is now going to go to. That's why it's so important to give to an agency like Federation or these uh, JNF or whoever's doing it that are able to adapt on the ground to the, the, the daily needs. I know so many of us, in our, especially in our generation, I don't want to give to these organizations that have a very big overhead in terms of pay staff and, and everything like that. And we want to see every dollar directly go to, but unfortunately which, that actually- Which know, the Jewish Federation Emergency Campaign is giving 100%. Oh, it is. Yeah, okay, they, they're wonderful. not taking any overhead. So 100% is good. going to the ground. All right, that's, but that's again, I think just as we're feeling, you know, at times feeling lonely and like we need support, I think Israel needs our support. There's been a lot of news coverage about um, different pockets of the Jewish community that aren't uh, supportive of Israel. And I think Israelis on the ground need to know that the Jewish, uh, that the American Jewish community by and large is, is in their corner and that they're not alone and that they have our support. So as much as we feel mentally safe to, to put ourselves out there and do so, you know, I think it is so important to be public about our support of Israel right now. Yeah, those, those messages you put on Facebook, those things you send out, and really, really the intentional way in which you call up friends who are Israelis or people in Israel or Israelis who are living far away from home or people who have family who are living in Israel, that is essential work, essential work. And you are truly helping out actual Israelis when you do that. And, and, and it's work that only you can do. It's really, really essential. Um, so that really is important. I'd also say, obviously, you know, stand up for Israel um, as much as you can psychologically, right? Like putting those things on Facebook, they do help, right? Uh, you know, to a certain extent, you know, those just if having that discussion with someone who is not so sure whether they support Israel, doesn't understand the conflict. I've had a lot of those conversations. I was on a flight to Portugal. I had like a four hour conversation with, with a woman on the situation. Like if you can do that, that's wonderful. But you also, I think really, and I think I hope that Dr. Ashley would, would, would agree with me on this, is that you also have to be very honest with yourself. Like if you psychologically can do this, where you can get through it and not be destroyed afterwards and not be completely tired so you can't handle your familial obligations, your work obligations, everything like that, then okay, you know, call a vote. Um, or as we say in halakha literature, hurries and mishubach, this is wonderful. But, you know, you have to be really honest with yourself. And importantly, if you know that you can't be honest with yourself, can you, can you be honest with yourself of not being honest with yourself, right? That you can't be honest with yourself to take a step away from saying, I don't know if I can get through these conversations without hurting myself. So I'm going to take a step back. We would rather you take a step back and just take care of yourself. But if you can, that's wonderful. That really is wonderful. And it is, it is truly helpful. Ashley, is there anything, Dr. Ashley, is there anything you want to leave us with? Any final comments that you want to share? I'm just, thank you guys for doing this podcast. I think, like you said, it's really helpful and important, hopefully for people listening, but selfishly, it was really helpful just to sit and have a conversation together with people that I love and respect about all this happening in the world. And I just want to, you know, to any Israelis, whether you're in Israel or here in America or wherever you are, like, I want anyone listening to know that we are thinking about you and we support you and we are just sending you all of our love thank, thank you, so, you much. so much thank you thank you for making time for us we really appreciate you being here really thanks guys thank you see ya <laughs> thanks Ash. i just want to lastly say as well something you could do for israel just before we kind of conclude here is is don't be afraid to be a jew 
right? Like, remember, remember what these terrorists want. Besides the destruction of Israel, um, they want the destruction of Jewish people. They want the destruction of Judaism. There's a big temptation right now to hide your Judaism. There's a big temptation to take down your mezuzah, to hide your support of Israel, to hide your Jewish practices, to sort of not come out. But the more that you can, you know, get out there and be a Jew and, and do those things that are publicly Jewish, that also helps to show that we're not afraid. Remember that 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 is one of the founding reasons for the state of Israel is that Jews don't need to be afraid. That we can show our Judaism and be proud Jews and not have to hide it away from everyone else. So make sure to, if you can, again, if you can psychologically do this without terrifying yourself so that you can't fulfill your obligations in life, if you can do this, if you can put yourself out there and remember. Remember the definition of bravery here is not to not feel fear, right? But to feel fear and to feel trepidation and yet continue walking forward, right? If you can do that with your Judaism, then whatever way that you feel comfortable with, that is huge. That is so important. And that's a great way to support Israel. Did we miss any important ones, you think? No, I mean, I think that's I think that's it. Care for yourselves, care for your community, and care for Israel. Care more, love more. Right. But it's so important during this time. We've listed the things that are important to take care of with Israel, but I really, really want to harp on this point, and I really want to end with this, is that you need to take care of yourself. We are giving you permission as your rabbis to take care of yourself. You need to get through this time. This is not going to be five days, as we have already seen. Um, This is not going to be some short operation. This is going to go on for a long, long time. The world is going to eventually uh, start to forget about this. It's not going to be the top headline in the New York Times. And you might feel like you're suffering alone, right? You always have your rabbis that you can call any time. We're here for you. We want to be here for you. But to remember that this is a marathon. This is not a this is not a, a race where we're and not a sprint, okay? It's going to take a bit. This is going to be so take care of yourself. We need you in this world. We need you to be who you are. So we're giving you that permission, and we need you to be here. So take care of yourself, my friends. So we're here for you. We're here for you. I'm Yisrael Chai, and we stand with the Jewish people, and we certainly live. So quickly, thank, of course, our, our wonderful Dr. Ashley Braun Gableman, who's wonderful. And if you're looking for a, a psychologist in Cleveland, she has a wonderful practice and is always uh, looking to help new people. So feel free to contact her. Um, I'm sure you can Google her to, to find her. We'll try to in our show notes put in some of that stuff for our contact information. Always want to thank um, Colleen Deeker and Jeffrey Baldinger for our wonderful theme music. And of course, our unbelievable producer, Jesse Ulrich of Rent9 Productions for editing our podcasts. If you're looking for someone to help edit your podcast, I'm sure he might be willing to help and he's really wonderful. So it really is great. And of course, always remember to comment, subscribe, review, everything like this at our podcast that really helps us out and help gets the word out. Thank you all for listening. It's nice yeah. to be back in your ears and we're happy to be back on our podcast and for, looking forward to a really wonderful next season. Before we end for today, I do want to give a little bit of a coming attraction for our next episode. It should be coming in, out in about two weeks. And I'm going to be interviewing Phil Romine of a wonderful organization here in St. Paul called Interfaith Action Network. It's our wonderful collection uh, where interfaith, where communities, religious communities come together, work together to make the world a better place in a very practical way. Housing people who are homeless, helping children to read, things like this. And we're going to talk about the power of coming together, 
different religions coming together, different faith communities coming together, and what that means to him, and of course what that means to myself and Rabbi Rachel and well, what role that plays in our life. So look forward to that coming out in about two weeks, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Oh, oh, come celebrate the words of Torah with Marcus and Ray.